Welcome to Good People Podcast, where each episode we explore what it means to be good by talking to everyday heroes, philanthropists, altruists, and do-gooders. I'm Kelsey Timmerman, author of the Where Am I series, Where Am I Wearing, Where Am I Eating, Where Am I Giving? And basically on the show, we talk to people who give a damn. So um, one of those people who gives a damn is my good friend, Jay Mormon. Jay, it's been a while. How are you? Good, Kelsey. What's it been? Six months? Since oh this, my uh... gosh. It's been, I apologize. I know our listeners have just been filling up my inbox with like, when, when's the next uh, episode? When's the next episode? Uh, le- letters, phone calls, just, yeah. just left them hanging, right? Yeah. I don't know I, what our excuse is. Uh, I mean, you laziness? know. Laziness? Virus? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's good to be back. I'll say that. Um, and things have like in my life, I've, I've started grad school and I'm still working on my next book. And, uh, I know Jay's been busy too. And just the distraction of all of the, the 2020, like shittiness, I think too, may have played into it. Good um, way to put it. Yep, exactly. But, you know, I, I think that this is part of my therapy though, for all that to talking right. to people who are doing uh, good things out in the world. So I'm really excited to be back. Great. Yeah, me too. I, uh, I've missed it. And, you know, you and I haven't even gone out to get a beer unrecorded. So we, yeah. <laughs> we need to get back in that habit again. So yeah. when you're not, when you're not busy with your, your head in the typewriter, then uh, we'll do that. Typewriter. <laughs> isn't that how you do your books? It's all on typewriter. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. I write them out by hand. Stacks um, and of paper. I, then I use a typewriter and then I just use the computer. I just like stack technology until right. I eventually get to like it's in a Word document. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, well, you know, Jay, one of the things that uh, kind of relates to today's talk is, uh, you know, when, when I travel, you know, through the years, what I pack is varied, but one thing has not varied. I always take with me a um, a Roby super disc, which is like a Frisbee that everybody can throw. And I talk, um, you know, to me, it's like the key, it's the key of the key to the world. Like you can go to most anywhere in the world, take that for the Roby out, give it a toss. Kids come out like then all of a sudden you're playing a game of ultimate Frisbee and their parents are inviting you home for dinner. And then you're like getting drunk with someone's uncle right. and you know, like, <laughs> This it's is your awesome. old technique. Yeah. This is it. Like, um, it's aerobic equals free beer. Um, but, you know, it's a way to connect with people that maybe you don't share the same culture or same language. But mm-hmm. it's like and, – and that's to me what um, what sports are. And I even wrote um, a love letter once to the aerobic company, and they sent me 60 aerobic super disc, which I've given out uh, all over the world now. So I'm like a, a brand ambassador for, wow. I'm not I didn't really, know that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's got these two big, I just wrote this love letter and say, Hey, I love this. Like it's, you know, regular Frisbee Jay, it's, it's really hard. hard to throw. Mm-hmm. It's a, a big learning curve for that. And yep. so the Roby, you can actually throw it. So this, this episode of the good people podcast brought to it's you by fun. a Roby, <laughs> like a Frisbee that you can throw a Roby Fris- super disc. Frisbee for everyone. Right. <laughs> So anyhow, I, I bring that up because it's uh, related to someone uh, that we're talking to today and that, that, you, that you know. Yeah, I, I'm excited to uh, introduce you to her. Um, her name is Saren Fryat. She um, founded and uh, grew an organization called Laces. Um, and uh, I met her through, it's a kind of a funny story, but I met her through friends. And I had people at, uh, at my work that knew her. I had friends personally outside of my work that knew her. 
And uh, she did a fundraiser, which was essentially a, we call it a high school, an 80s high school prom, which, heck, that's right up right up my alley. I didn't have fun at my proms. Why not uh, go to one <laughs> now? Let's get into your prom now, Jay. Have a good time. No, no. Prom. Nope, let's not do that. Um, but uh, so we had a fundraiser, and, or she had a fundraiser that we attended and dressed up like we were in the, in the 80s. So I watched a couple episodes of Miami Vice and picked out some clothing, very pastel with some good linens and, you know, all that stuff, which I'm happy to post a picture for you if it would, if it will yes, entertain we'll you. Yes, share that in the show notes for sure. Um, but that's how I was introduced to Saren and, uh, and the mission of Laces, which I'll read um, uh, off their website, um, laces.org. Sport is more than a game to Laces. We work to create a sustainable, replicable model of community development using sports as a tool to reach at-risk youth and empower their local communities. One of the fundamental principles of the Laces model relies on full integration of local community leaders into all aspects of the organization. So I, I certainly will ask her and let her explain it, but, um, you know, she, uh, she created um, soccer as a means to an end in Liberia and, and eventually some other places um, that help these at-risk youth. And if, if you think about Liberia and what we know about it, um, civil war and, and just the, the, the horrific things that have happened there, uh, Saren is an inspiring person to me and she has, and Karen and I have contributed to, to laces a number of times over the years. And I would love to give her a platform to, to, to speak about um, about what they've done. And um, she's just a really cool person. Um, I wish she was still in Muncie. We could have done this over a beer and, uh, together. Yeah, we, we had a really great conversation that touched on local and global giving and how she started the program um, and all the people that kind of led her on this path to start it. So I, I mean, I think it's a really um, good episode to, to get back into it. And one thing that stands out to me too is that like uh, you introduced her to me and I was like looking at laces and it, it, you know, it's this national international thing. And then I saw that she's from Muncie and I'm like, wow, how can, you know, it, it's so often like someone from your hometown and you feel like, Oh, how could they be doing this like huge thing? And it's, it's so uh, neat to see her out she, in the world doing that. By the way, in, in the emails and texts we were, she and I were, uh, communicating through she said the same thing about you she said oh he's an author oh and he's but he's from muncie yeah wow how did i not know this (laughs) no matter where you are in the world there are cool people there are still people people. doing good things i I, I guess i just put myself in that list even if even if it is an author yes that's exactly (laughs) right yeah well let's get into it It was a great chat i'm really thankful that you introduced uh, me to her and geez like i I lost track of time and it was just like we're sitting and hanging out so i think the listeners will really get kick at this so without further ado uh, let's get into it Saren Fryer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Hey, Saren. Um, Kelsey, Saren and I met um, many years ago when she lived in uh, Muncie, Indiana with us, and she's since moved on. But um, uh, I, she has been somebody I've wanted on the podcast for a long time. So, Saren, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, she runs a organization and founded an organization called Laces.org, and we'll... Uh, let her talk a little bit about that. But um, uh, Saren, you've always been somebody to me that I've wanted on the podcast just because your mission. And of course I love soccer 
and uh, it makes a, uh, a really perfect addition to our list. And Kelsey and I have been gone for a while, so it gives us a little kickstart to get come back back in the podcast yeah. game, right? And, and I, I, I remember I heard of Vices like years ago. Um, I feel like I had maybe friends that even went on trips or it seemed like there was always a kind of a Ball State University connection with Liberia. I don't know if that was you yeah. or more than that. I know James yeah. Mitchell uh, had gone yes, on trips in Liberia James. before. Yeah, uh, he hasn't gone to places, but with other organizations. Okay. And so, and yeah, I'm a Ball State grad. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Chirp, chirp, I guess. Chirp, um, chirp. <laughs> and I even, in the alumni magazine, not, I'm an alumna uh, of, of Ball State alumnus. I can never remember which it is. Uh, but I remember seeing that you were written up in, in that magazine before. And mm-hmm. so it's uh, really cool to connect after kind of having tangentially heard about your work through the years. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about LACES, like what, what, what it does currently, and then maybe we'll get into later about how, how it all started. Okay. Um, LACES, which stands for Life and Change Experience Through Sports. Every organization needs an acronym, so we had to stick with that as well. But we leverage the power of sport to mentor at-risk children. Um, we work in Liberia, West Africa, Sierra Leone, and actually with refugee youth in the Washington, D.C. area. What does at-risk youth kind of mean? Typically street children. So in the beginning, it was former former child soldiers in Liberia. At one point, um, Ebola orphans, and now street children. So really, we just look at those who are on the um, outside of the community or not as invested in or I don't want to say cared about, but people are investing in their lives and their children and they deserve that. And so LACES provides that opportunity, that space for them to get that. And how, how did you, I mean, I've always been fascinated with your mission and, and inspired by it. How did you get started in that? I mean, it's not like you were just, you know, walking around kicking a soccer ball and somebody <laughs> came up and said, Hey, do that with me. How did that get, how did you find the inspiration to get that moving? Someone kind of did in a different kind of way. I was out playing a pickup soccer game in Liberia, West Africa, because I was volunteering with an organization called Mercy Ships. They convert old cruise liners into hospitals and you live on the ship. And then I got off one day playing a pickup soccer game and a coach saw me playing and recruited me to play in Liberia's Women's Professional Soccer League. Wow. And it was through that experience. Yeah, it was a great That's time. Great. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's, let's pump the brakes on this. Yeah. Like, I, Don't run so, over that one. <laughs> yeah, so there's like, I have so many questions. Uh, so uh, what do you think when this person walks up to you? Because like, you know, I know if I were in Liberia, um, I'm probably people would walk up to me and say different. I mean, when you travel any, anytime you're an outsider anywhere, like people walk up to you and you know tell you things and you're like oh my gosh like they're this is like i don't know if i can trust this person what do they want from me and then like like come and play professional soccer on our team like were you hesitant at first you're like oh this, this is Completely. totally legit no i didn't think it was legit at all this guy just came up to me it was women out there playing they didn't have uniforms on it wasn't super formal i'm not even sure all of them had cleats in fact, one asked me to borrow their, my cleats for one game. Um, so it was, yeah, I didn't believe him. So I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, um, he's like, okay, well, we practice here this day. Let me know what you think. So I went around and asked Liberians. I was like, what is this? Is there really a professional <laughs> women's soccer? Yeah, am I being played? I've only been there for two weeks. 
Wow. And so I didn't know much about it. And so when I found out it was yes, I showed up to the next practice and I was like, well, let's see what this is about. Why not play professional soccer? I mean, and did you really just, so time. then you, did you leave the ship and live there for a little while? Is that what you chose to do at that um, point? Not at that time. So I continued to volunteer on the ship. I, I reached my entire time. And then when I was done volunteering with the ship, I actually stopped playing professional soccer and I came back to the U.S. Mm, to okay. start laces. Okay. So my experience inspired laces. Yeah, gotcha. And, and let's talk, I've heard of Mercy Ships before. Um, can we kind of back up and kind of cover like what made you go on, on that trip with Mercy Ships? And, you know, you kind of covered a little bit like, re, I mean, I think I'm not a huge proponent of cruises. Uh, so I think like <laughs> turning them into this sounds like a lot better than turning it into, you know, uh, whatever they actually are. Um, but like, what, what was that experience? What made you decide to go on that? And kind of what your role was with Mercy Ships? So we're going to have to back this way up. So um, I actually have... Um, <laughs> Muncie features. was founded in right, exactly. three. <laughs> so I, I'm an athletic trainer by education. And I was working at Northwestern University with our men's soccer, women's lacrosse team. And when my first year was done, I was like, is this really how I want to spend every day? of my life. And I decided no was the answer to that. So I, I quit my job. No, no other job in line. But keep in mind, I was like 24. I, you know, zero responsibilities in life. And so other than like making sure I was fed. And I was like, one of my friends said, well, why don't you go volunteer with this organization called Mercy Ships? I was like, sure, why not? So I looked into them, I applied, and they actually turned me down because of my seizures. So a woman called me one day and said, I'm sorry, we'd love for you to join, but because of your medical history, you're not able to join us. And I played college soccer, you know, had a driver's license and nothing had ever prevented me from doing anything in my life. Mm. You know, that had to do with seizures. So I was like, okay. And I moved on. I got a job as an athletic trainer in a clinic that I really loved. Actually, I really loved working there. I worked there for another year and I got a phone call from West Africa on my lunch break one day, a year later. And this woman said, I've been lobbying on your behalf for the last year. If you want to join Mercy Ships, you're welcome. I said, yes, I was on my lunch hour. I just said yes. And then I quit my job a week later. I gave one month's wow. notice, but. <laughs> but you were done. Yeah. 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 That I was done. And you know what? The, the company totally supported me and, you know, helped me so much and to make that wow. transition. They're so, amazing. Do you, re I mean, I'm always fascinated too by like uh, some individual person who like sets you on this path. Like, do you even remember that, that woman's name? Cause I could see how you would not, uh, who like was fighting on your behalf. Like it's okay oh, if you don't, I mean, I, no, I her last name is Elliot and um, her husband's first name is Mark and her name starts with a Z. And why Zena. was she Zena Elliot? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So why, why, why was she so, I mean, I'm sure they get, maybe they get lots of applications and like, why was she fighting for that? You know, you? Um, Mercy Ships is a Christian organization and, you know, my, my faith, I'm Christian as well. And so that's what really connected me to Mercy Ships. I think for her, God just put something on her heart. I mean, that's the way she explains it to me. And she felt like the answer shouldn't be no. Mm -hmm. And little did she know that like that experience would 
turn into 13 years of laces and my yeah. life changed completely. Yeah. 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 You've, you've kind of just hit on the, the, I mean, one of the reasons Kelsey and I started doing this podcast is there are, we know both of us, so many people that have either started, created, built, or been in service to nonprofits in some way, shape or form for the greater good of the community or the public of the globe and little things like that actually cause so many ripples going forward. Somebody believes in you for something and all of a sudden a whole new organization is created and Laces is a great example of that. And you've yeah. never forgotten her because of that. Yeah, no. Unfortunately, I stumbled off of, on her name, but I've, I've you know, made, but um, she forever changed my life. I will always remember that phone call where I was denied and I'll always remember that phone call where wow. she said, please come. And that is the start of me and who I am today and the path I've taken. And she's the person who started it. That's wonderful. Wow. So, the, so the what mercy was the, ship. Oh, go ahead, go Kelsey, you okay. want to hit so, mercy ship? Yeah. Um, so the mercy ships, like, is this just a ship that's always off the coast of West Africa or is it sailing around or did you like fly to it and get on it? And what was your role on the ship? So I lived on a ship for six months and I never sailed and never really went anywhere. Um, I flew into Liberia. So when I went to Liberia, it's interesting. I knew nothing about Liberia. I was not, um, you know, it wasn't Liberia that drew me to being there. It was mercy ships and so, and their, their work. Um, strongly believe in the work that they do. They're amazing because they bring first world care to developing countries. They were the first CT scanner in all of Liberia. Wow. And, yeah, so I really believe in their mission and what they do, and that's how I got myself there. But no, I never sailed. Just <laughs> kind of hung out on a cruise liner. I, there was no cruising going on. It was sick. <laughs> yeah, the food wasn't great. The <laughs> we're not talking about like slides and stuff like that. I just imagine you on the one of those surf things, you know, like the water's flowing. In the you're just pool. Yeah. Yeah. Break. yeah. It wasn't that no. at all. It doesn't sound like okay. no. No, I lived in a ten by ten room, not a joke, with three other women. Wow. Who are now yeah. some of my best friends. Of <laughs> course. You can't live that close to each other. It was either that or worst enemies. I mean, <laughs> right, could go exactly. on one yeah, two days. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it wasn't, no, no. We were not, uh, it's not a big cruise. <laughs> so, how did, so you moved from there to, um, you know, when you decided to leave um, uh, the Mercy ships and then move back to the States, you got this idea to start um, Laces as an organization. So how, how did that, how did you feel in that process? What were you afraid of? What, what really got you, got your feet on the ground and saying, I'm going to do this? Well, what really inspired laces was the women on my team. So I saw what their life was like on the field and what their life, life was like off the field. They had just experienced 14 years of a brutal civil war. And um, many children were former child soldiers, and these women were perpetrated, uh, or they were, you know, abused by these men and children. And so when they were on the field, they were like, you know, they were became young women again. And they were, when I would go into their homes, life was completely different. So I saw what they were like on the field, off the field. And one day, actually, someone, um, so with this professional team, and I'm getting to a point here, <laughs> um, no, keep going. you know, when I played college soccer, it's like you show up early, you show up ready, you show up ready to play. And if you don't, you're sitting the bench for the next game. Like that's just how it is. And so I had the same expectation, but really they had just come out of a civil war like a year and a half prior. 
and um, women would show up late. They wouldn't lis listen to the coach. He would say, run, they would walk. Like it drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. And I went up to the coach one day. I was like, why do you tolerate this? Like you pay us to play. And he's like, and, and I will never forget this as well. He's like, Sarah and these women have been through 14 years of civil war. This is just a brief moment of joy in their life. We're not here to win championships. We're here to change their life and give them an outlet. And so that really sunk into me and it changed my entire worldview of sports. Prior to that, it was winning and losing. I was competitive. I didn't care about anything else. Um, and so he, he changed my perspective of sports in that one conversation. And I saw it in a completely different lens. And you can tell very people were very influential in this. Um, and it hasn't stopped that yeah, type of experiences. Yeah. And so through that experience specifically, God put the idea of laces on my heart. And so I started looking for other organizations that were doing it. I had no desire to start an organization on my own. You know, let's not reinvent a wheel. Um, and that time, it was a long time ago, 13 years ago, sports for social change or sports for development didn't, wasn't really on the radar. It wasn't really something that was going on. And so I started looking. I couldn't find anything. And one thing, when I came back from Liberia, I started working at my same clinic again. They brought me back on. And so when I first came on, I said, I can only commit to six months. And they said, why? I said, I don't know. God has something for me. And so this is what I get, can offer. So I was, you know, frustrated. I couldn't find an organization. I would talk to my patients about it. And one of them was just like, why don't you start this on your own? I was like, oh no, I can't do this. It's not my uh, background. I don't know anything. I've never even balanced. I've my never checkbook. done that. How in the world would right. I do that? I've never done that before. Right. Never balanced my checkbook. I had like no <laughs> anything. And um, so he was like, well, think about it for a week and then get back to me. And if you want to do it, I'll help you get it started. Now keep in mind the guy's an entrepreneur. So let's just say like he, you know, that's his spirit and his, you know, the way yeah. he views things. And so I spent a week coming up with a hundred different excuses as to why I couldn't do this. Most of it was insecurities around my experience. Um, you know, what did I know? Why should I be doing this? Um, and at the end of the day, I just knew, I just came to, I didn't trust God in it. And I knew that um, I was just afraid. That yeah. was it. And there's it was a, just fear. Yeah. It was just fear. And so when I was able to overcome that fear and realize this is this was a needed thing for children and it was needed in Liberia. Um, so my boyfriend, actually, now my husband, um, I met him in Liberia. He's a good old Canadian and go <laughs> um, <laughs> Canada. And so he he was a finance person. So he actually helped me write my first budget. The entrepreneur actually helped me write my first business plan. There you go. Um, and then I just put it in front of people. And I said, what do you think? And people believed in it. And yeah. because they had, sports had impacted their life, sports had changed their life. And they were like, well, of course, this could happen for others. Yeah. So. And what, you know, I think the interesting angle on this, um, you know, I know, um, and I've talked about it on the pod before, my wife went to Haiti. Um, mm. And one of the things that the people in Haiti told her is it's not, it's not so much what you bring down, like, you know, they were doing school supplies and that kind of stuff. It's the fact that you give us a perspective of hope, like things can be different in the world differently than what we are seeing. 
what do you think sports, you know, sports is just one other activity or, uh, you know, community um, gathering that can give people hope that things can improve. What, what have you seen sports teach these kids that they weren't getting in other places? In other words, you could have gone to build shelter, houses, water supplies, food. What did sports teach them that you felt like has been effective in, in the stories you've seen? So with Lisa's program, it's actually more of a mentoring program. So our coaches are really, we would call them mentors. They coach the kids, but there's an opportunity where we teach life lessons like self-esteem, discipline, respect, teamwork. So soccer is a means to an end. Exactly, exactly. So it's actually less about the sports and more about the opportunity for kids to come together and you invest in them. You teach them life skills that offer, that will give them the ability to participate in their community for people to accept them. And that's a huge thing. And, you know, we all want a place of belonging, right? A sense of belonging. And we can find it in many ways. We can find it through gangs. We can find it through sports. We can find it in our families. Uh, we can find it in our communities. But for many of these children we work with, they don't have that sense of belonging. They don't have parents. They don't have people who um, who look at, you know, who care about them, who see them for the children that they are. And so they need that sense of belonging. And our coaches and our program and the mentorship provide that for them. Can you, yeah, I, I, that, that makes complete sense to me. And I, uh, having read some of the stories and, and talked to you about it um, before, um, it is, it's filling a space for these folks and these kids in a place where, you know, those lives have been torn down. So all the assumptions we have about family support, community support and, um, are all gone. Um, for a lot of those people. Can you, is there a specific story you remember or a specific kid that is a great example of that or somebody who, I know thousands of kids probably have touched you in some way or another, but anything that comes to mind? So a couple of things. Um, my first, my first time, like three or maybe six months into it, right, um, of laces in Liberia, it was actually an experience I had with a coach and at this point, they were maybe three years out of the Civil War. And, um, you know, the kids in the program were former child soldiers. And many of the men, you know, were just, um, it was a tough life. It was a tough life. And people don't have a lot of money there. And this guy, this coach in our program who we had trained and everything, and he took his money, he paid to come to my office. And just surprised me with it and he just said he's like i want you to know you make me this program and what this has done makes me feel like a man again he said people respect me i have children that i can that i care about that respect me and i'm now making a difference he said i can't say that about the last 14 years of my life that blew me away yeah. I, you know i didn't the program was for for children I never expected to have that impact on coaches. It wasn't even the goal. It, it became part of what we did after that, but it was never the goal. Um, you know, you're right. I do have the, the thousands of children's lives who have changed. And do I know all their names? No. Do I, you know, do I know their faces? No. But I had a, a child oh gosh, three years ago. It was actually on Lace's 10-year anniversary a couple mm. months before. And he called me. Um, he was in our program in Liberia. He had recently come to the U.S. 
and I, I didn't answer it. It was a number I didn't know. And it went over to voicemail. And I'm so glad I did because now I, I have it recorded. <laughs> and he just said, so he found me on the internet somehow or however he got to me. And he just said, I want you to know that Lace has impacted my life and, and helped me become the person I am today. That's it. He yeah. just wanted me to know that. Wow. Um, yeah. And I don't remember him. Um, he was a kid in our program. He was in our, I later found out he'd been there about seven years prior. And so it was a blessing. I mean, it was yeah. amazing to hear that and yeah. to know that it was that impact. Um, we have Ebola orphans, children who were ostracized from their communities um, because people, even after, you know, Ebola crisis was over, people thought you can't go near them. Um you know, kids who people shunned. And it actually took us a while to get our coaches to believe like, hey, these kids aren't going to give you Ebola. They they need your investment. And through that actual program, probably one of the biggest influences we had was the community started to accept these kids. Again. Mm-hmm. Okay, mind they're, they're orphans. So they don't yeah. have parents. Many of them who don't have parents lost family members because typically if one family member had it, um, some of them were Ebola survivors. And our kids are age 10, 11, 12 you know, 13, 14. So it's quite a, yeah. um, so that collectively as a group, that was a story I heard time and time again from our Ebola orphans. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, part of your, part of your goal there is to, I mean, you're, you're, you're affecting these, these people, whether they're coaches or the children playing or people involved and then hoping they go back out to build a stronger community for themselves. Right. I mean, you're yeah. not, you're not, living there and in their lives every day and doing things, you know, with them, you didn't open an orphanage. You're not, you want the community to kind of pick up and, and take this forward. Um, exactly. And that, that sounds like what is happening um, yeah. through those stories. Yeah. So if you went to Liberia, you would have no idea that there is some woman in the U S that has anything to do with laces. It's all ran by locals. Every coach is Liberian. Every staff member is Liberian because they know the answers. So they have the answers to their own, problems right? right they just need some support and some ideas on how to to get there that has yeah. to provide yeah we have hit that in other um, podcasts and had people on that have talked about that as the sort of uh, local leadership is the most important part of um, any of these things because it's more sustainable it's localized it's you know it's in country it's not uh, just ideas flowing in from the outside and then leaving um, and Kelsey yeah, I, mean, I think you have that in your book a little bit too right yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, so, uh, I mean, how does your, what does your role look like now then? Are you just like the chief cheerleader, f- fundraiser, like making it happen for giving all the, all the support that the local people need to, to run the program? Yes, I am the chief storyteller. Okay. I am the chief fundraiser and the chief accountant. I'm the chief. What are the roles and responsibilities that an organization does with one and a half people? All the, all the fun stuff. <laughs> all the fun stuff. So it's, you know, um, did I start the organization thinking I would, you know, be in the U.S. doing the, you know, day in and day out of operations and fundraising? No, but um, it's a privilege to tell our kids stories and to inspire others through it. I, I find it, it's, 
this is the question of like how do you measure success and how do you how do you quantify it because I mean, i'm sure when you go to fundraisers or talking about your work like you have to have some quantification of it and and i find all, often all the ways that we make the biggest impacts are immeasurable you know you have the the for you, it was the the woman at Mercy Ships who was like been fighting on your behalf for a year. It was the the coach who took the time to talk to you about why the women aren't running uh, during warm ups or whatever. And um, like, you know, it's hard to measure success. But is there how, how do you how does your organization measure success? It's a great question. So I'm a big believer in measuring success, looking at, you know, what it is that we're doing um, because it's ever evolving, right? We didn't do things like the same way, you know, 13 years ago that we do today. Uh, The general themes are the same, but the way we implement it is completely different. Um, We very much have values within our organization that everyone has a voice And so everyone's opinions are evaluated and thought through and taken into consideration. But probably the biggest thing is we were actually able to measure it. So we partnered with researchers at Ball State University um, and then, which was amazing, Dr. Lindsey Blom and a few others um, out in California and Arizona. And they came to Liberia and they, they tested. They looked at through various means, whether it was, um, you know, small group interviews, actual like testing, but we tested self-esteem, sense of purpose, and um, decreased attitude towards violence. Because we felt like our mentoring should, our hope is at the end of the day. I mean, think about it. If we have a sense of purpose, think of all, I mean, look, a sense of purpose for me, once I like figured it out based 13 years ago. I mean, we're really, when we have the sense of purpose, we're really inspired to do quite a few things and to make a big impact. So we measured these things and it was actually statistically significant that children in our program after eight months, that's it, um, have an increase in sense of purpose, increase in self-esteem and their decreased attitude towards violence. Kids in our program for three to four years, so we can do that in eight months, imagine like over that three to four years, the transformation that you can, that you can see. So we did measure it actually. Mm, great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we measure it through stories as well, but um, yeah. yeah. And that voicemail, I mean, that voicemail that you received, uh, I mean, that's definitely a testament to that success, but that's not something that's necessarily quantifiable in, in that moment, but that's kind of, I'm sure that was uh, quite a gift for you to re- receive that and to drive you forward for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you uh, start off in Liberia, and then it kind of um, grows out to other communities, and then even, as you mentioned, in, in Maryland. And I know that you've uh, won support from, like, uh, major football leagues, and um, there was a program that I'm interested I saw that you were part of um, called the 48-Hour Hackathon. Can you kind of describe, like, what that is and kind of what, what came out of that? Yeah, so it was a partnership that we did with an organization called Unite 2030, and we themed it as kick out discrimination. So looking at, you know, right now we're, the conversations are everywhere about discrimination and what that means, what that looks like, and we see it in sports, it's no different. And our young leaders, they're, you know, some of the most innovative people, they come up with new ideas, um, new ways to think about it and implement it. So this is actually a global um, uh, uh, hackathon. 
and virtual. And so people come together for a period of 48 hours and we put them on teams. They're given education on like how to team management, right? They have to, so those of them don't even speak the same language. Now they're required to be able to speak English, but like we had teams from Nigeria to India, like Nigerians and Indians being on the same team. Yeah, cool. Uh, Lithuania and everywhere in the world. Um, it was amazing. I mean, they basically spent 48 hours coming up with ideas on how to fight discrimination in sport. My biggest role in that really was to bring people in front of them that were judges and leaders in the sports industry to hear their ideas. Mm. So they could pitch their ideas. Those ideas could be, you know, taken and implemented. And I think um, two, so you have five finalists and two of the five ones um, have actually been implemented. Oh, cool. So I had a chance to, I don't know if you're familiar with any of these programs, but um, in 2007, I was in Cambodia. There was an organization there called Spirit of Soccer, and they yeah. use they use uh, Scott, what's his last name? Scotty. Yeah. Scotty, uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> this, this, Scotty, is, this is, the, this is yeah. the episode where we sit around and try to remember stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. He's a great guy. <laughs> He's yeah. like on fire. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. So Jay, they um, use soccer to, uh, they, they have kids and they come coach and it's like local coaches. And then they, at the end, they educate them about landmine um, awareness yeah. and unexploded ordinances in Cambodia and areas of conflict. I think they've also expanded just to, to be in areas of conflict too, not just like places where there's landmines, which in Cambodia, there was a ton of them. Uh, and then also um, more recently, a young man in India uh, named Ashok Rathad with uh, the Oscar Foundation. Uh, and they've got a cool program in some of the informal settlement communities there. And um, it's one of the things I discovered early traveling. And, and, and it sounds like from your experience playing pickup game of soccer too, of like all of a sudden, uh, your language differences are, are gone. You're all kind of uh, equal between between those lines, and it's a way to interact and communicate with people, and uh, um, something you all can share, even when you come from such different backgrounds. Uh, I would I would rarely step into the soccer field because I would just get owned by everybody <laughs> around the world. But the the women on my team couldn't say my first name. And so they called me by my middle name and they just decided to do that one day. And I was like, why are people calling me Sue? Like, what is this? And so they had just seen um, one syllable. And, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> if you literally, um, when I'm in Liberia, I know someone, if someone knows me from my soccer time, they'll call me Sue. But oh, if they wow. know me from laces, they'll call me Saren. Wow. That's so really I can cool. Distinguish, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no one can say my first name, Kelsey, around the world. So I go by Tim often. I'm just Tim. Nice. It's, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, so one question I have, you've been, you've been doing this since 2007. And, mm-hmm. in, um, you know, I felt, especially at universities, um, for about, till about 2012, 2013, there was this period of, like, global focus, this discussion about being global citizens. And... Since then, specifically in the United States, some of the injustice that was always there has become more, um, more awareness of it, more action towards it. Um, I think about like Ferguson and the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I 
and I wonder if you feel the same way, but if to me, it seems like now we're much more focused on our own local national issues. And it's the closer to home, our problems, the harder it is to see a world beyond them. And even when it's a global problem, like the coronavirus, it seems like so little news comes through that the rest of the world is facing coronavirus and uh, taking precautions and, uh, I know some of the some of the people that we've had on previous podcasts have have uh, you know shifted their programs to now where there's like medical medicine and food um, as their people can't go out and to work normally. So have you seen this uh, this retraction from like a a more global focus to a local focus like in in your work? Yeah, completely. Um, and I would, I would say that that shift is also, we're seeing that as an organization financially, Mm. um, people are investing in, in their local, um, communities and, um, to combat this in the United States. And we're seeing that financially. Um, but it's interesting because if you ask my staff in Liberia and Sierra Leone, they actually know more about what's happening in the U S with coronavirus than they even do in their own country. First of all, you know, testing it. Yeah. Testing's not nearly as robust. Um, And so they just, you know, us is not doing that great. And so people are just listening to what we're doing and um, taking their cues from us. Um, And so it's, they actually don't know nearly as much Um, Liberia and each country we're in has a different sort of standard. So Sierra Leone, um, up until, I don't know, maybe a month ago or something, they were still allowed to play soccer. They, uh, Liberia was not. So we don't, we run our mentoring program and we feed our kids. So we switched a lot of our funding over to more feeding programs, bringing our kids together and bringing them together, you know, social distancing, bringing them together. So they are street children. The same thing is happening. People aren't going to markets. Food is more expensive. Um, and there's just more scarcity. So our kids who live on the street, they have less access to food. And so they're getting more of that from us. Our refugee program here, we've done virtual. So um, a lot of these kids, while they may not have had those resources of a computer before, they do now because of school. And they needed to do virtual school. So we've um, partnered up with a couple other organizations and um, professional athletes to run virtual programs. Yeah. But it's it's difficult and interesting um, pivot for sure. It Um, is. is. I mean, it's it's somewhat concerning to me. Uh, I mean, I, I completely think that we should be local citizens and I'm, I'm thankful that people are getting engaged and in their own communities. And I know that we've got a lot of challenges, but also, I mean, the realities of the, lives of children um in in communities like the kids that you're serving i mean ebola orphans like geez those two words kind of just like sum up a situation that most of us could not possibly fathom and and even like i i don't know if you're familiar with the effective altruism movement we've talked about that in some past podcasts where it's like the it's your moral obligation to um to be the most effective in your giving uh, and it's very it's very quantitative um and like the, you know that shows like when you give to somewhere like liberia often your the the impact of your gift can be magnified by a hundred mm-hmm. 
because that money just goes so much farther. So, and, and yet even before we give so much, we give so little internationally. I forget. It's like just a fraction of our overall giving goes to international programs. And yet that giving can go so much farther in those programs. And so I feel like it's not been like a, a, a great trend that, um, that, that we're seeing in terms of the retraction of, of, of that global awareness. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like laces, for example, a child will be in our program for one year is $420. And with that $420, you provided two people with jobs. You provided three meals a week for children who are street children. Um, you've provided a mentoring program, sports equipment. Like that's a lot of things. Like yeah. you provided two people with jobs for $420. And then who are they supporting with those jobs too? Oh yeah. They're right? five. I think the average household in Liberia is five. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's just like amplified as you know, the ripple effect, you know, we talked about it earlier. It's just like incredible. Yeah. That's not even a week of food in a lot of places in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. My food bill is probably <laughs> at least that I know. I mean, you know, over a period of maybe a month, but like, yeah, <laughs> I don't right. know what it is. I don't know what yeah. Jay's eating four hundred twenty dollars <laughs> a, a week. Well, filet week. mignon every night. When, Jeez. Uh, when all five of us were home, it was pretty darn close. I'm it's sure. Really yeah. yeah, a lot of potato chips. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, so it's um, you know and. Uh, foundations are shifting their money to to local Um, and you can't like you know the need is here as well so in the U.S. and um, but we need to continue to think like global citizens because as we can see I mean the pandemic is making it in our face completely how intertwined we are I mean how everything that somebody does in Liberia is affects people in the U.S. Yes. and China yeah. and South Africa and Asia. Like it's, you know, the pandemic has shown us that we're not in our community, yeah. and I think we have to remember that. Yeah, I mean, global diseases definitely show that. I mean, there was the Ebola scare. Uh, I mean, it was a scare here, right? There's yeah. like, oh, one person with Ebola on an airplane, and like, what does that mean? Right. And but like right. there. Yeah. It was reality. Were you there during some of the outbreaks or? I, I was there just, no, because I was living back in the U.S. now okay. at, at that point. Um, but I had just been there uh, maybe a couple months prior to when it first started being reported. And then um, two of the doctors who got Ebola out of Liberia are friends of mine. Um, and thankfully, you know, survived. Um, wow. And have long-term effects from mm. it. But, um, you know, the, yeah, I mean, it just is, it's a global and Ebola scared people. I mean, the survival rate in the beginning was, you know, 10%. One in 10 people were dying or no, one in 10 people were surviving. (laughs) Sorry, the other way around. And it was just uh, tragic and scary and Liberians that has, you know, spilled over into coronavirus yeah. and, and it's brought back a lot of like anxiety and memories. I mean, poverty, inequality, injustice anywhere is like, it's everywhere now. We're all, we're all connected. And that, I think that's what's, that's what bothers me about this, um, this, not that we're focusing locally, but that we're maybe at the cost of ignoring the mm-hmm. global 
issue. I mean, especially with the coronavirus, I think about some of the folks I know in in informal settlements, slum communities, who are, you know, just devastated by that they can't go out and work and earn an income when they had troubles getting access to food before and access to jobs before now it's even more difficult and like that doesn't even register on the the our radars because we're hyper focused on ourselves well and i think the the other thing about this is is with the information age we're in right now and the internet the ability to see news video and updates from almost, almost any person in the world is we can't say we don't know Right. Yeah. You think about this in the 1950s. I'm not sure, Saren, how you'd really had a good <laughs> idea of what was going on in these other places, nor as a woman would anybody have probably accepted you starting an organization. But now we see it. We know it. We get data for it. There are people that study it. You can go onto Twitter and watch videos of you know people struggling through civil war. You know these things exist. And like, like Kelsey said, as global citizens, that's, we have to consider what our, what our spend and our volunteer time is on, on both sides of this equation because we are all human beings. That's the one thing we share. Yeah, for example, for LACES, you know, our funding has decreased, but we know we're responsible for those coaches who have those five family members and stuff like that. And we take that responsibility very seriously. And we've had to adjust quite a bit to make sure that funding that we are receiving is stretching even further um, and making it so those people who need that money to buy the food for their families can still do that. And it's not an easy thing. It's not easy for them, not easy for us. No. So what is the, what is the best way that uh, listeners can support LACES and um, kind of what are things you're working on right now? What does the future look like? Yeah, so if we're looking at the immediate future, um, you know, because we can't travel, we can't go places, like honestly, financial resources like the pandemic, that is one way that people can invest and make a huge impact, you know, uh, it, more than ever now, um, I think. And so, you know, in the past, we've had people with expertise volunteer with our organization, um, consultants that help us. Um, right now, we have a consulting firm, um, Bain, who is work, helping work through our next you know, 10, 20 years of strategic planning, wow. which, you know, the vision for 10, 20 years from now is actually to take the LACES model of our mentoring and our local commitment and investment and sharing that um, instead of creating LACES in all these different countries, like setting up, getting an office, putting a vehicle, all these overhead expenses that actually we realize aren't necessary to the success of our program because everything is locally driven in the community. So we're taking that model and we did our first expansion in February and went to Sierra Leone, um, end of February, launched it. I came back two weeks later, they shut the entire US down. Mm. So like it, it's still running, it's still going, but we can't monitor and evaluate it very well. Um, the place it is is pretty rural, so the internet connections aren't as consistent. Um, we have our staff in Liberia, Liberia and Sierra Leone, um, border each other and our staff our lead staff there have been with us they're basically the co-founders i would say of laces mm. and so they were going to go there and do this additional training monitoring and evaluation to to see how this could um, happen and and their borders were closed mm. so it's um but it doesn't mean that's not still our strategic plan and that's not our vision it's just yeah. on hold for a little bit yeah and that's where that's where laces is going in the future and the impact people can make Opportunity, I think you said laces.org is yep. the place that you can find us and invest in us and invest in our kids ultimately and make, you know, 
make that impact on the world um, if you choose to. But you can find us there or, you know, and there you can get our email. And because there's one and a half people in our organization, let's all be honest. It says info at laces.org, but it might as well be S. Bryant at laces.org. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to go to me. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay. You know, I, I hope that, um, you know, 20 years from now, someone asked me this question recently, like, what do you, what do you want people to, what do you want people to say about you, the impact you will have had 20 years from now? Um, and I was like, for, you know, for people who've had an impact in my life. So for example, the woman, Zaina, right. She changed the course of my life because she made one decision and I can name her name. It took me a second, right. But I can name her name and I want coaches to be able to name the kids of the kids that they impacted in their life and have their names. And these kids to be able to say, this person changed my life. Now I want to go out and do this. And we, all have the ability to do that, whether it's starting an organization or it's literally looking at your neighbor or looking at your global community. Um, we all have that capability. And 20 years from now, I want people around the globe to be able to say, because of this concept and idea of laces, my life was changed forever. And, you know, I've gotten to hear that feedback in various ways through the coach, through the voicemail. But really, if people say something about me 20 years from now, I want them to be able to say that, um, you know, she changed lives over the globe because of an idea. I didn't do it personally. I didn't change the person's life, but I took action. And I want people to to know that they can take action. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, All we're right, thankful. That a bigger answer. No, that was great. <laughs> that was great. Wanted. That was great. We're, I mean, we're, we're thankful for the people who influenced your life and we're thankful for the lives of, uh, that you have influenced. And it's been really great chatting with you and Saren Fry. You're definitely good people. And, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is a great time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the good people podcast. Special thanks to my friend Jay Mormon for co-hosting and to Cliff Ritchie for the great tunes. You can listen to Cliff on Spotify or find him at cliffritchieyart.com. Let's keep the good going. Please share, rate, and subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Visit kelseytimmerman.com slash goodpeople to find show notes, suggest guests, learn more about my books, and tell us about the good you are doing in the world.